Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 125 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. We've had wasp attacks, new queens taking to the air, and I've been pondering what to do with our weaker colonies. So stay tuned to discover what I'm doing to deter those pesky wasps and how Lady Luck lent a hand with my beekeeping woes. Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm grateful to Honeypaw Hives for sponsoring in part our podcast for this season. Honeypaw Hives, as I'm sure you're aware, are Polly Langstroth Hives, and we're setting up an apiary full of their hives this season, courtesy of Honeypaw. Check out their range of hives and other equipment on their website, and I'll leave links to all of the websites in the show notes as usual. Honeypore Hives, designed by beekeepers for beekeepers. Hello again and welcome back to the podcast. September has arrived and I'm sure you're all feeling the shift in seasons. Mornings seem perceptibly darker. Certainly 6am is almost fully dark right now here in Norwich compared to those fantastically bright mornings of early summer. There's a feeling in the air, a chill holding on to the morning, and I feel it especially when I pop up to the allotment first thing to continue to pick our tomatoes and courgettes. Summer's slipped away to be replaced by damp starts and wet feet. The most significant discovery this week has been the sudden onslaught of wasp attacks in some apiaries. Not all of them. It has to be said that some of the apiaries are perfectly fine and I'm not seeing any wasps at all. But some are being picked on particularly badly. It's as if they also know time is short and they need to suddenly find additional food while they can. I wonder if they know that time is short for them as well. I'm sure you're all familiar with the fact that bees and wasps come from the same scientific classification order of Hymenoptera, yet whereas our honeybees hunker down for the winter months, the wasps take a different route, expending their energy on creating many, many mated queens that head out to hibernate as the parent nest collapses and dies. It is, of course, why our honeybees produce and store honey, and exactly why we have to look to their stores to make sure that they have enough available to them over the coming months. I'll come on to the topic of feeding in a moment or two, but first a reminder of how to help your colonies survive the dreaded wasp attacks. I recently supplied a replacement queen to a fellow beekeeper who had a small nuke that she wanted to try to nurse through the winter. We managed to get them set up nicely, and although originally in a full-size hive, they were moved into a smaller nuke box to give them space to develop, yet not too much space that they couldn't keep warm or defend it. Well, at least that's what I thought. The entrance was probably only five or six bee spaces wide, not large by any stretch of the imagination, really. At that point, there were not really any wasps around. The bees were settling down. The queen had been nicely released into the colony from the queen cage and had started laying eggs and young larvae were developing. So all seemed well. Then last week, I received a frantic 
WhatsApp message with a video showing the entrance of the nuke being absolutely overrun with wasps. All you could see was black and yellow bodies flashing into sight and disappearing into the nuke box. The poor little nuke had no chance. Within hours, it was destroyed. I don't think that any action taken by the beekeeper, short of bringing the nuke over to my back garden, would have helped. Such was the onslaught. And even then, if I had them in my back garden, if there had been wasps around, I still don't think that the poor little nuke would have survived. So what can you do if you see wasps around your hive? A lot depends really on what type of beekeeping you do. If you have a couple of hives in the back garden, then you may be fairly limited as what you can put in place to protect them. But I will offer up a couple of suggestions. Really, defence against the autumn wasp attacks begins in early August, shortly after the honey supers come off and treatments go in. We're trying here to get colonies as healthy and as strong as possible. And by strong, I mean lots of bees. It's no good having a double national brood box set up if you only have three seams of bees. Remember, a seam of bees is where adult bees fill the gap between brood frames to the point that you can't look down between the gap and see the floor beneath or any of the comb on either side. If you only have a limited number of bees in a large space, it will almost inevitably allow wasps to slip in and rob out the outside unguarded frames. And once they're in, they really go to town, stripping out food and attacking isolated individual bees. It can all end very suddenly. So strong colonies are the biggest and best defence against wasps and also reducing the entrance. I've just posted a video on Patreon showing how I use foam sponge to reduce the entrance on a standard national hive in a wooden entrance block. Some entrance blocks have a kind of double entrance cut on different faces of the block, so you can reduce it down by turning the entrance block by 90 degrees. I'm not really a fan of these blocks, but they do serve a purpose. Even the reduced entrance on those blocks can be a little bit large and may need a small piece of foam to reduce it further. The foam is cut into strips and measured against the opening for size. It needs to be a little bigger than the entrance, so it has to compress and fit tightly once you push it in. I use my hive tool to ease it in, remembering to leave a small tag end so I can remove it easily when I want to in the spring. Once the foam is in place, I like to kneel next to the hive and watch. The bees initially get a little confused, their previously large entrance now being blocked, but they soon work out where to go to get into their hive. The best action happens when the first wasps arrive at the newly reduced entrance. They seem a little unsure all of a sudden and run around the entrance trying to work out how to get back inside. As soon as they approach the entrance, you can see a mass of guard bees blocking the width of the reduced entrance and all ready to fight with the wasps. There's no way those wasps are going to get inside this hive. I have previously put out wasp traps, but to be honest, I've had a change of mind on them. I did catch a lot of wasps, but also I caught a lot of other beneficial predatory insects, and I don't really want to do that. As long as the hives are strong, the wasps will go elsewhere. 
So as I said, preparing for wasps starts in August. If you find your colonies are not so strong now, what can you do? Well, reducing the entrance to just one or two bee spaces is a must. And then consider uniting two colonies to form one larger colony to go through the winter. You'll have a greater success rate with a single large colony than trying to nurse a very small nuke-sized colony into the colder months. They simply die of the cold. It's a job I'll be double-checking on in the next week or two. Most of our colonies were fine a week or so ago, but any that appeared to be a lot less active than the rest in a single apiary will have the roof removed and a quick look inside to see what's going on. Not a full inspection, mind, just a look to see if they have lots of bees. I sometimes split the frames open in the middle to have a quick look for eggs or very young larvae, but that would be in an extreme case. If it's small, and that might just be four seams of bees, I'll unite it with a stronger colony. In the spring, I know I'll be able to split it back down and have a couple of really strong colonies for the summer, rather than losing one overwintered small colony and having to start over with cleaning and re-waxing frames, and all the work that that brings. Just finally on wasps, if I have a colony that has succumbed to an attack, I generally reduce the entrance a little, but allow the wasps to continue to clean it out. If you remove a dead colony and the wasps have nowhere to go, they'll undoubtedly move on to the next hive in that apiary and start attacking that. And you could end up losing multiple colonies instead of just one. It won't be long before the wasps will die out and the threat will be gone. Nervy times for some beekeepers, no doubt. Talking of nervy times... It's confession time for me. A few weeks ago, I set up some nukes to introduce new queens into, and everything went fine, apart from a couple where I hadn't removed the tab to allow the queen to emerge, as the bees were really quite grumpy, and I thought they needed a little more time to settle down before I removed the tab. Well, I went back last week to check up on them. The queens were fine, and had been in the nukes for about four days, so should have been perfectly at home and accepted by the workers around them. The normal process is to then remove the tab and let the workers chew through the fondant, thus releasing the queen. However, and here as part of the confession, I have to say I'm not the most patient of people. Anyway, being keen to see if the queen would be accepted One method of releasing the queen is to lay the frame down on top of the nuke, hold the queen cage close to the frame, slide the cover back a little and let the queen walk out onto the frame and then watch like a hawk to make sure that she's not mobbed and attacked. If she doesn't get attacked, you can pop the frame back into the nuke and let them get on with it. Well, I laid the frame down, slid back the cover plate and the queen a plump skittish girl, came out of the cage like a speeding train, wings flapping and immediately took to the air, performing a couple of circular laps around my head before disappearing up into the canopy of an oak tree as I stood open-mouthed like the proverbial rabbit in the headlights. Oh well, these things do happen. I went to the second nuke to remove the tab and, well, the temptation to slide the cover back was just too great even though, as I was sliding the cover back, I could see the queen was already winding up her wings to make her escape. The voice in my head was screaming at me to stop, 
But, well, I just couldn't. And sure enough, she too shot out of the blocks, 100 metres sprinter style, and disappeared into the air. Have you ever seen a smoker fly through the air? Well, I have one smoker that has a rather large dent in the side where it landed. Lucky I wasn't standing near the truck, really, I supposed. Anyway, as we walked away, Steph calmly consoled me by saying, you never know, they might come back. Sometimes it's best to say nothing. They never come back. So anyway, this week I've been back checking on food levels and colony sizes. And guess what? One of the queens has indeed returned and is laying a really nice brood pattern. What do I know about honeybees anyway? Steph, of course, had a smug look on her face. I kind of deserved the lesson, to be honest, and lucky to have one of the queens returned. It could have been a whole lot more expensive, and it's nice that Lady Luck has actually looked on us favourably for a change. In other news, I'm noticing that even though we've fed quite a bit of syrup, some colonies are still very light, and it's not because the wasps have been robbing them out. So we've added more food to some. This time of year really calls for heavy syrup. The bees take it down a lot quicker with less water to evaporate. I've been asked what recipe I use for my heavy sugar syrup, and it's simply a standard two-to-one sugar-to-water mix. Obviously, a lot of beekeepers will be getting the scales out to measure precisely the amount of sugar and water to mix up. But to be honest, if it's a little more or a little less either way, it really doesn't seem to matter a great deal. The easiest way is to buy in some ready-mixed heavy syrup. It's what I do each year. I really don't have the time, equipment or patience, it would seem, to mix up a tonne of syrup and more. A lot of beekeepers choose to feed with fondant, and that's perfectly acceptable too. You could add a large block of fondant with a super surrounding it and leave it in place until the bees have taken it all down. The block would normally go directly onto the frames, but if you're going to leave it in place for a long time, it may be better to place it above the crime board so there isn't a large cavity surrounding it that the bees have to keep warm. I tend to feed fondant after the oxalic acid treatments around the end of the year and into January. Lots of colonies will take it, but some will just ignore it completely. Bees, huh? Still on the subject of feeding, I came up with a solution for feeding the top bar hive. Of course, the video will be coming out soon, so do take a look at that. I designed a very smart-looking Toblerone-shaped feeder with a slot in the side for the bees to access. Needless to say, the plans were sent to my research and development team, aka Pete at the workshop, where my design was lovingly recreated and is now sat in the truck waiting to be installed. I plan on doing that tomorrow, so it'll be good fun to see if my design and Pete's recreation of my design fit, and of course if the bees actually use it. The feeder is made of plywood, and we were trying to work out whether we should paint the inside to make it water resistant, but in the end I decided to make a lining from a large heavy duty plastic bag. I cut out the bottom and fitted that, then cut out a large square and popped that inside the first layer to give a double protection. Hopefully there's no small holes in it. I guess I should fill it with water first to see if it leaks or not. Once I'd started Pete on the task of making it, the thought occurred to me that I could simply cut a slab of fondant and wedge that into one end of the top bar hive. I'm sure the bees would be all over it. Isn't it always the simplest ideas that are the best? 
Well, we'll see how we get on with the feeder, and if it isn't so great, we'll always have the fallback of fondant to use. Finally, earlier in the week, I posted details about a new annual subscription plan that's available on our Patreon page, and to launch the option, I'm giving away two months' subscription completely free. That's regardless of what level of content you sign up for. Simply head over to the webpage, patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey, and select access to the content that you'd like. The offer for two months free access is only available until the end of this month, so do make sure you take a look at it before it expires. I know that a lot of you listening will already be supporters and have signed up, and I'm very grateful for your patronage. Well, that's it for another week. I'll post links to relevant information in the podcast notes as usual. But until next week, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Sweet.